Let's see if you can help me with the problem. Every day, I encounter many people, young and old. But in one important way, they're all the same. They're all growing up. Is that the problem? Yes, growing up is a problem. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to season two of Dialogical Humanism, a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices to challenge the status quo here in Canada. With me today, I have an incredibly special guest. Her name is Shauna Adams, and she's currently a third year medical student at the University of Toronto. I'm interviewing Shauna today as a continuation of Dialogical Humanism's very first episode that received over 300 downloads within its first week. It was about systemic racism at the Peel District School Board. As I record this episode, September is approaching and incredible strides forward have been made to address anti-Black racism at the Peel District School Board. But it's important to remind everyone, especially those of us from the Toronto region in the education advocacy space, that the work is not done. The criminalization and adultification of Black students, especially young Black boys and girls, has been naturalized over time. As a result, today's episode seeks to revisit the issue of systemic racism at the Peel District School Board and ask the question, how can we challenge narratives of Black students as criminals, of Black students not being able to reach their full potential due to the implicit biases of educators? How can we challenge these ideas and move towards racial justice for all students in schools? To help answer these questions, I've brought Shauna on the show today to share her own lived experiences as a Black student from the Peel region. We'll be discussing the epidemic of discretionary suspensions from Peel schools, how racism is a multi-generational issue, and how streaming can negatively affect Black students' academic and career trajectories. So do stay till the end of our episode. Shauna, I know you're an incredibly busy person between balancing studying at medical school to your responsibilities as a senior executive at the Black Medical Students Association at U of T. And as a result, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I want to start by asking, there have been numerous reports of anti-Black racism that have come out about Peel schools over the last few months. Have you had experience with any of the specific statistics that they report in these reviews? Yeah, for sure. Um, so just to give a little preface, I've been in Peel schools my whole life, so from K to 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, you know, I was thinking a lot about what like, what to share for this podcast, and I actually reached out to a few of my Black friends as well who were in Peel schools. And although there are a lot of overt examples of anti-Black racism in the district, and I would encourage like, anyone listening to either read the PDSB report or the summary via Toronto Star. Maybe we can include the link. Um, but as young kids growing up, uh, we have no idea, you know, whether a teacher just didn't like us or if there were unconscious biases that led to microaggressions against Black students. And um, a lot of us, and my, my friends as well, were just reflecting back on our experiences. And for some racialized kids, you know, any kind of acting out or um, stepping out of line was a straight go right to the office. So 
But for others, there was a lot more warning, a lot more patience. And um, at that time, we just didn't really understand these issues or what may be going on. And so a couple of things I want to share are, for example, um, with the PDSB report that came out, they said that for a student to be suspended, there's 18 reasons. And those reasons include, you know, being violent or using drugs or vandalizing or swearing or bullying and, and a lot of horrible things. But the 18th reason is other. And it's very odd that 78% of the secondary school suspensions were listed under the category of other. Absolutely. Um, and I just wanted to say that, you know, I, yeah, and like I myself as a, you know, second year medical student now, I was one of those students who were, who was suspended under the category of other due to, um, you know, misunderstanding regarding technology at the time. And I was in grade eight. And um, as a straight A student, and I was also known as a goody two-shoes my whole life, it was like I was criminalized overnight by my teacher, the behavioral staff, the VP, and the principal. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it, support really helped to get me through that time. But in psychology, there's a term that's called the looking glass self. And what that basically means is it describes when our reflection of ourselves is based on how we think we appear to others. And um, I'm, it's really sad to me that this is a very common thing that happens across the district. Um, I went from, you know, being a great student, and then the next day, all of a sudden, I was being accused of stealing things from my teacher's office. I was sworn at and more. And it was honestly a very terrible time. Um, and I'm just very, very thankful that I had supportive friends and family at the time to really help get through that because I could easily see how other students would have been extremely discouraged by that interaction with staff. Um, and so I also just wanted to mention that, like, what's happening right now in Peel schools is a generational problem. Um, my mother is a racialized woman, and she also went to Peel schools, and she wanted to be a psychologist. And when she went to her guidance counselor to talk about this huge dream that she had, he said, why do you want to be in school for so many years? Why not graduate and start making money right away? Do retail. And honestly, she took his advice because she had no one else countering this advice in her life as a role model. Um, and to this day, she wishes that she had listened or that she had never listened mm-hmm. to this guidance counselor, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and because of that and, like, realizing that, you know, I shouldn't have listened, she spent her entire time as a mother telling me, you know, Shauna, the time's going to go by anyway. Pick what you love. Pick any career and just pursue it. Yeah. The time is going to go by. Mm-hmm. And so literally, like, I'm here in medicine today largely because of her voice telling me what she wished someone had told her decades ago, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. I feel like we're giving so much power to people that can literally change the trajectory of someone else's life. Absolutely. And we really need to be checking what their views are, what their biases are, mm-hmm. their knowledge, um, and how it's particularly benefiting vulnerable populations like the Black community. Mm-hmm. Shauna, the points you bring up about examining the implicit biases of people who work in our school systems is really important and incredibly pressing because we see now more than ever that there is a pattern of canceling anti-racism training, canceling equity initiatives for people who work in our schools. Just recently this year, we have stories in the news of black trustees, specifically trustee Kathy McDonald, having her microphone turned off when she tried to explain that a conference for black boys wasn't specific anti-racism training for administrators, something that seems like common sense. 
As well, just a couple years ago in 2016, a senior educator from the York region spoke out about how numerous anti-racism initiatives had been deliberately canceled by the York Region District School Board. And these were initiatives such as consultations with the Black and Muslim communities in that region. It's clear that despite the work of so many advocates in the education space right now, anti-racism training and equity training for educators and administrators is still not being taken seriously at a time when, as you mentioned, it's more important than ever to examine the implicit biases of people that increasingly have a lot of power to control the trajectory of students' academic careers as well. When you mentioned that at a young age, it's so easy to internalize microaggressions. That mm-hmm. really reminded me of something that a parent advocate said to me a couple weeks ago when I interviewed her for season one. Her name is Charlene Grant, and she led the York Region District School Board Human Rights Complaint on Anti-Black Racism. She was talking about mm-hmm. how that as parents, they witness children as young as six years old, as young as grade one, grade two, experiencing things such as having notes being put on their cubbies, deploring their bad behavior, such as their names being put on the board constant, um, many, many times, yeah. more so than any other student. Yeah. And especially yeah. at the York region, that's very damaging because there, unlike Peel, the students who are Black are a minority. And Charlene was talking about how the message that gets sent to kids every single day is that you are bad. You are not like the other kids, yep. you know? And mm-hmm. I was just and wondering if you could speak to that a little. This is the looking glass yeah. self that I was referring to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. Um, Shauna, just kind of your feelings when you got suspended and just kind of putting us back in the shoes of that, you know, 13, 14 year old who suddenly got that label slapped on her. Um, How did that feel Uh, and how did that change your perception of yourself? You know, it's funny because I'm even getting like just chills thinking about it because um, it's really hard to paint the picture of the kind of student I am. You can ask any teacher throughout my time at field schools and they will like they will understand the kind of student that I was and how hardworking and kind um but for me all I remember is just crying so much like I remember being called down to the principal's office I remember being in the behavioral room and and um I remember wow these memories are coming back uh, I remember I was an ambassador and a school announcer so I was also very involved yeah and I remember the behavioral teacher saying you know you're going to lose all your positions and then um, a couple of minutes later, there was a phone call in the room and I had to go speak to um, one of the leaders in the office about why I should keep my position as ambassador or announcer. Oh and um, I was able to defend my position because I didn't even think that the suspension was rightful to begin with. And when I went back to the behavioral office, um, I had kept my position. And um, I remember I was looked at like, oh, you lost your position, didn't you? And, uh, and I just remember like, I didn't even know how to respond. It's like, I felt like everything was trying to be taken away from me in that moment, and I just didn't understand. And I just remember crying so, like, so much that week and not understanding. But like I said, it was because of having a lot of support that I was able to get through that. But what about other students? Absolutely. You know, like, like this is a scary thing, and you can be very discouraged from that kind of interaction. Mm-hmm. It is really frightening what you're mentioning, Shauna, about how someone's parents can make or break their entire academic trajectory when schools should be supporting students regardless of their racial or socioeconomic background in the first place. Um, This reminds me of 
the very first conversation I had on this podcast, which was with my friend Benjamin McDonald, he's a former student from the Peel region, and he shared with me how a fifth grade substitute teacher took a look at him and his friends in class and told them that your kind doesn't go to university, referring to black students. And thankfully, Ben's parents challenged this narrative and pushed him to continue with school, to continue on to higher education. But as you can imagine, for a lot of other students, that might not be the case. And, you know, speaking of these instances of overt racism, I was wondering if you yourself had any experiences similar to Ben's. Um, so personally, um, I haven't had those kinds of direct uh, negative experiences, especially with like guidance counselors and whatnot. But mm-hmm. I know several of our students, even right now, in our Black Medical Students Association, quite a few uh, also came from Peel schools and other districts in the region. And uh, they attested their teachers and guidance counselors like directly encouraging them to take applied courses. And um, that's exactly the problem that we're seeing right now is that black students are being streamlined out of higher education and it's happening a lot earlier. Um, An example is my high school teacher asked me to go back to my school this year to speak to grade 11 and 12 science students because I'm in medicine now and I love to answer their questions and also encourage them that this is attainable. Um, And I spoke in their theater room where that's where the students normally perform their plays before their school. So it's it's a decent size of a room. Yeah. In that room, not one, not one student was black. And at my time in that high school, there was a high proportion of black students. So it was really disheartening to see before my very eyes what we have known for so long. Black students are being streamlined out of academic courses and ultimately higher education. And um, it, it, it's just corroborated by even students here today who fought against those, those advice and who were able to make it to this point. But it's really saddening what's going on. Like I was looking into some specific statistics about this and in 2016, there were national statistics done that showed that although 94% of black youth between the ages of 15 and 25 said that they would like to get a bachelor's degree or even higher, that's 94%. Mm-hmm. Only 60% thought that they could. So what's really happening here? Wow. Wow. That's almost half. That's almost half of students mm-hmm. who feel like they can't do it and that... And- yeah, and a lot of it does come back to poverty, but also a lack of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the anti-black racism that's within our institutions. Because um, the cutoff rate for poverty in this country is 32 or 34,000. And for those under the poverty line, about half have a degree. So it's, it's, it's not even like poverty is the only issue. It's in a lot of communities, in a lot of areas, there's a lack of opportunity to even be upwardly mobile and mm-hmm. to invest and to grow. Uh, And so it's a very, very sad situation that's happening right now, and we need to address this systemically. I absolutely agree with you, Shauna, that, you know, income levels is one thing. Another important intersection when it comes to this issue of anti-Black racism is psychology and culture and how Black students feel when there is this environment where they don't feel like they're represented or supported. There was one quotation from the PDSB review that really tore at my heartstrings, and it was from part of an interview that they did with a student at Peel Schools. And the student said, quote, what is the point of trying if I know I will never make it, unquote. And so that really, um, yeah. that reminded me so much of, I mean, what you you just mentioned about how 
a lot of students don't feel as if they can achieve what they have always wanted to achieve because there is just not a lot of encouragement around them. And it, it is really heartbreaking. It really is a systemic issue. And just speaking to the current events of today, I think it is a huge shame that it has taken this many lives lost, this much violence, this many students' mm-hmm. lives changed before the non-Black community is finally starting to see that we need more allies, we need less bystanders, and we need more people to be speaking up because it's not fair that so many students are not supported when so many others are pushed to succeed. Yeah, no, and like the Black community has been fighting for centuries, right? Like what's yeah. really going to change the scale on this is having our allies speak up and take action because What's always happened through these waves of, like, revolt in the past is, you know, we'll have our allies put out nice um, tweet messages or emails. We stand with you. We stand in solidarity. But, no, we need action. It's 2020. It's been too long. There's too much evidence on what's been happening in these schools and more systemically within our government and to uh, really low-income neighborhoods. It's time that we start to act. And doing equity training for teachers is a great first step. But also, we need to ensure that the, like, the conditions and the environments that students are in are nurturing to attaining higher education. Yeah. Um, there's one example that I was thinking of. Um, in the report, it's a disgusting number of kids that are suspended in kindergarten. Yeah. How do you suspend somebody in kindergarten? They yeah. barely even understand what's happening in the environment. Yeah. And so a, a lot of part two is criminalizing students way too soon before you actually um, add in remediation efforts. You know, like, yeah. why, why aren't we thinking first? I wonder why this student is acting out. I wonder what kind of supports they need or, or what we can help them. Like, why, why are we automatically sending them back often to perhaps environments that have instigated the um, behavior to begin with? Like, we need to support students and we need to change the way that we deal with our discipline in our school. Absolutely, absolutely. There needs to be a change in culture, a shift in attitudes, but more importantly, a complete redesigning of our school system to make sure that black students from all backgrounds are adequately supported and that they can reach their full potential. And so I thank you, Shauna, for taking the time out of your day to share your lived experience with me and to discuss such a pressing issue. By way of conclusion, I was just wondering if you had any comments about your journey towards medicine all the way from Peel Schools and if you have any words of encouragement for listeners today. Of course, I'm here in medicine today because of a lot of luck. And, um, and of course, my parents support through those setbacks. But I really do think that with my mom, having having experienced herself, a guidance counselor discouraging her from achieving her own dreams and having her look back and still wish that she hadn't listened, like, that is, I, I believe for her is a big contributor as to why, like, especially um, from my suspension in grade eight, you know, mm-hmm. she, she, she did the same thing. She was just pouring love and support, as I had mentioned. And even when I was like thinking, I know I, I never even wanted to be a doctor until about grade 10. I didn't even think that was attainable for me. Yeah. And at that time, when I was thinking about, well, that means, you know, you have to do four more years. And then after that, there's a, there's more training and another three or however long. And I was like, I was already almost about to get discouraged. And I talked to this, you know, with people in my school and I haven't, I didn't really hear anything else. But when I spoke about it with my mother, she was like, you know what? The years are going to go by anyway. Like, don't let anything discourage you from achieving what you want to achieve. And here I am two years into, you know, medical school training, four years after undergrad. And the years really have just gone 
come by. Mm-hmm. And I feel like these are messages that need to be streamlined to students, that it is attainable for you, like you can do it. And this is why we need to be important at the voices that are falling upon our children's ears, you know? Yeah. We need to be important at who's uplifting our kids and, and the kind of information that they're able to um, digest. Because as a kid, you're like a sponge, and you take in everything that people tell you. Absolutely. And that's why it's a responsibility on us and our community to make sure that teachers are uplifting and investing in our children. Absolutely. That being said, Shauna, to any of our listeners right now who are students who may also be Black and attending Peel schools, I was just wondering if you had any words of encouragement for them or if you had any words that you wish you could have said to your past self going through high school. Um, You are worth it. You are smart. You are intelligent. You can achieve any dreams that you want to set forth. And there's a community of support here. And I'm sorry that you don't see yourself being reflected in every position of power right now in society, but things will change. And we are here to support you. Everyone, this has been a conversation with Shauna Adams, a senior executive at the Black Medical Students Association at U of T and an incoming third year medical student. You can find Shauna on Twitter at Adams Shauna. Again, that's at Adams S E A N A. And you can find the Black Medical Students Association at U of T at U of T BMSA. You are listening to Dialogical Humanism, a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices to challenge the status quo here in Canada. Stay tuned for our next episode, where I have a conversation with Rob Lackey, an Inuk man and a 60s scoop survivor about Indigenous rights and Inuit communities across Canada. You can find us on Twitter at Dialogical H Pod and our Instagram as well at Dialogical H Pod. In the garden, I might stop and smell the flowers. Won't you beg my pardon? Could I stay a couple hours? The incredible R&B music featured on today's episode is from Amaka Quinette, an up-and-coming R&B artist from Toronto. You can find her on Spotify at Amaka Quinette, and the specific track I've been playing throughout this episode is titled Neighbors from her EP Vacant. You are listening to Dialogical Humanism. I hope you never stop having challenging and empowering conversations. Thank you for listening.